0: Of Singularity University, he's on the faculty. We'll be talking about his uh, his efforts at productionscale.com. And as I told Kent offline, anytime I talk to a Singularity University uh, faculty member, they know so much that it's only possible to talk about one area that they're working on because
1: they they all seem to be so accomplished. But
0: uh, <clears throat> yeah, how are you doing today, Kent?
1: I'm doing really well, Rich. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So tell listeners what what do you do under the uh, productionscale. dot com website? What particular area are you working on?
1: Sure. So um, I think that to understand kind of what I do at Production Scale and understand it, it's almost like the it's the umbrella uh, or the the wrapper around me. It's it's the it's the legal entity facing version of to the world that I, I have. And Production Scale has done many many things over time, but you know the key thing. I think to share uh, with anybody uh, that I meet, and they, they either want or, one or two things I have to either run away <laughs> or, they, or they want yeah. to do something with me, uh, is, is okay. just to let people know, just right off the bat, that what production scale does, and, what, and this is my own personal, uh, we call it our massive transformative purpose, uh, is to apply technology for humanity. Uh, and I'm doing that in a number of ways, and we can talk about some of those today, uh, but all I look yeah. for at production scale are ways to express that. Is the way I think of it. That's
0: great. You know, you're starting with a, a huge goal, a massively transformative purpose. So, what is yours? You know, how would you state it, and then what what comes from that?
1: Yeah, well, that is, in fact, my goal. Uh, it, my my MTP, which I've embodied into the company, is to apply technology for humanity. Um, and I can give you some examples uh, of how I'm doing that. If that would be a good next step, or uh, whatever you think.
0: Yeah, definitely. Let me know what, uh, what what project or projects you're working on that you're most excited about that you think will have the biggest impact.
1: Yeah, great. Um, so the, there are two projects that I'm doing right now that I think express that, that purpose the best. Uh, one of them is an organization called the Fast Track Institute, and another is an organization called uh, EXO Works. So these two companies are they have their own mdps which exo work is the global transformation of business and the fast track institute is to accelerate technology into society so you can imagine uh, if i'm a technologist and i like trying to do things that lead to impact those are two companies i might want to work with so i i am in fact working with both of them on the exos so they're very related so i can talk about them both kind of back and forth i think without it being too confusing On the ESO work side, we've created a process called the Sprint. Uh, And not to be confused with Jake Knapp's uh, book, Sprint, which is wonderful, by the way. But this is a 10-week process where we're helping organizational leadership and go through a very transformative and very personal uh, process uh, to essentially restore agility, scalability, hunger for innovation uh, into an organization. And we're doing that for large companies all around the world. We've had several in Mexico. We've been over in Dubai. Uh, we're going to be in Spain soon, and uh, uh, the demand for this particular thing has been really nice. That company was founded uh, by Celine Ismail, the guy who wrote the book, Exponential Organizations with Yuri, and I've been working with them on that and their current CEO, Francisco Palau, uh, and the team there. It's just been absolutely incredible work uh, doing that. We're seeing transformation in people. But what we realized was a few uh, back in, uh, I guess it was early 2000. 16 uh Celine was sitting right goes I think this thing will work I think it will scale up uh for other businesses as well and I, and we're like well, what he uh, for bigger things and I said and, and I said do you mean bigger businesses and he said no I mean cities and I said well oh, wait you mean we can like run sprints for cities and he said no I mean we have to do something unique how would you do it and I said, wow, okay. How would I transform a city's relationship to innovation and agility and scalability for solutions for its citizens? That's what we really came down to. And what we did was uh, we created another uh, type of process, and this time we called it the Fast Track, and we built an organization and are continuing to build an organization called the Fast Track Institute. Uh, and we found our first strategic client, if you will, in Medellin, Colombia. And so we've been helping Medellin, uh, Find ways uh, to deliver transformative, technologically driven solutions uh, into uh, the citizenry, if you will, for, on behalf of the citizens of the Antioquia region. There are 3.5 million people that we think about as our customers uh, every day, and we've yeah, developed are, solutions um, for. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. You know, what are some specific solutions, even small things, you know, with Medellin or or other endeavors you have? Like any any real specific uh, use cases.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll give, you, I'll give you a handful, actually. Uh, one, uh, in Medellin, we started with financial inclusion, and we developed a product there called Avalar that would, in the context of peer-to-peer micro-lending, allow the people that were doing the lending with each other to also build wealth simultaneously. Uh, through that lending practice. So this is a way uh, to start to crack that code on how do you get assets to people who have no assets and yet need to generate them to participate in the formal financial global economy. So that was one solution uh, that we came up with there that's currently uh, undergoing a, an acceleration process. Uh, we also created two mobility solutions, one called Mivoltio and one called Uh Mivoltio was around uh, the... I think of it as the infrastructure uh, for the acceleration of electric vehicle technology both in a, a one-to-one you own it and a, uh, a heavily ride-sharing type economy situation and then the other was something called collective io where uh, we were proposing the building of what i consider to be an augmented reality layer of data that overlays all cities uh, it can be tapped into based on the specific context you need at a given time are you a are you a tourist right now? Well, then you'd like to know uh, about the, the smart path. In Rio Negro, you'd like to know where to go eat. You'd like to know where you can mm, get gas. Okay. Uh, those sorts of things. Uh, and maybe have an easier, you know, rent your Segway or <laughs> what have you, right? So, right, right. Um, And then imagine that being delivered through a variety of interesting interfaces from, you know, vibrations on motorcycle handles, turn left here, to augmented reality heads-up display for buses and taxis, to city knocks, uh, for managing flow and traffic using artificial intelligence. So that's what a Collective IO is. Those are just two examples. And I have a really interesting, fun, personal one that's not tied to Fast Track Institute, uh, also happened okay. to be in Medellin. That, that was a complete, um, that happened completely independently. It was interesting. But I'm working with a company there called Premex. And we're applying data science to generate essentially better feed formulations for animals to eat that will generate more protein of a higher quality at a lower cost uh, at the end point, meaning the plate, is what we aim at. And the fun statistic I like to share is that in one day in December, something of our work uh, to do that, what I just described, uh, hit 187 million plates of food uh, in Wow, Colombia, and and that's a big number, and it's a big day to know that you know you 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 did something to improve their lives, uh, even if they'll never know who you are or your name. In a case like that, it doesn't really matter. But that company has an awesome MTP two uh, to nourish wellness, and so you can see if I'm going to apply technology for humanity, then nourishing wellness is a great way to do that.
0: Amazing. So, what do you consider your particular strength in helping? Um, Create these these sure. transformations, you know what is it about yeah. you that that is unique that um, you contribute most of all? you think
1: well, I think that uniqueness comes from my sort of my long term background. I mean, I grew up in a very small town uh, that no one's ever heard of and Got my hands on a computer. I think I got my hands on a Commodore VIC 20 uh, when I was 12 years old, and started cranking out code. And I was like, "What's wrong with this guy? <laughs> you know, is he okay?" Because that wasn't very normal back then, um, and uh, that just put me on a career, uh, just a, an absolute love affair with technology. And I've started company after company after company for all the decades since. And uh, that level of experience, but then when you take all that technological expertise and you start to, to, to get the actual real world experience of building businesses, it creates a it, it creates a unique thing. And I, I've found over the years that I happen to be really useful uh, to people who want to build things and helping them accelerate those things by bringing all that experience and all of the technology to bear. And it creates almost like a, a lever effect, if you will. Uh, and so I just I do my best to provide value uh, in that service when I when I work with companies and people and, and even try to turn that and focus it back on myself from time to time uh, because I have I have a big goal. And so I think that that manifests most today in something that I call data activation that I is a practice in my my company. Uh, where we're okay. helping companies um, harness the real power—not of the—not uh, only the data they have, but also data they could go out in the world to get and get—and giving them all the pe- the people and the processes and the technologies they need uh, to to make that actually work. Uh, and and actually work means, in my case, activation, right? So it could make new products, it can make new services, it could be dramatic improvements to products you already have, uh, it could be augmentation so think- staff, it could be. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're saying you take uh, a company's existing data that they may think is useless or they don't know what to do with, and you help them find a new use for it that brings in
1: revenue? That's right.
0: That's all uh, right, very interesting. So that's, that's what you call yeah. data activation, this data that may be sleeping, you're activating it, putting it to
1: use. Yeah, I'll give you a live example, too. It's really fun. Um, yeah, the company I just told you about, Premax. Uh, one of our goals was to create a data product based on the the concepts around IOT, specifically for farms. So farms uh, in Colombia happen to be a little bit inefficient sometimes in the way that they collect and manage their data. And then that goes directly back to that formulation of feed. So how fast does the animal grow is directly related, of course, to how much food and water and of what quality that it gets in its environment. And so we've created a uh, it should, it's not even launched yet, but it will be launching soon. They have their first, uh, their first new customers. I'm super excited for them in that respect. It's called asymmetrics and you can think of it as the IOT of, of animal husbandry is one of the ways I think of it. It's a rather odd thing to, to, to I, I grew up in around farms. I never thought I would be back <laughs> you know, applying data science to farms, but, um, but why not? You know, it feeds people. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, and I'm really excited about that product. And they're very early. I, I hope they don't mind me talking about it. I don't think they would. Um, but it's um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a big deal. And they're coming out from a really unique way um, as well.
0: Um, any so what are some common ways that you know without knowing someone's particular situation, places you would tell them to look, or the types of data that you think we would be ripe for activation that they may think is not important yeah this is a good one um
1: it's in spreadsheets, and i'm really it makes me i sort of like cringe <laughs> just saying stored spreadsheet these days but uh, companies all have data it's just it's just almost locked and walled away inside things like spreadsheets or relational databases that someone is hoarding somewhere or vendor owned systems is also often the case where the vendors are managing the data and handling and giving you just this little trickle of access to what's really under the hood and no value added services or even the ability to do so on top. So I don't advocate uh, centralization of data, uh, what you hear called data warehouses or data lakes so much. I I advocate that you take those data sources like you're asking about. So think of it as your vendor controlled ERP or CRM. Uh, or the spreadsheets that your financial team cranks out every single month just to meet the needs of the accounting department, those things are really valuable potential information for customers who are making real decisions on the ground or the consultants from your organization who might help them do so. So if you can tie that together with production data, then uh, like I was giving the example of animal growth, right? We One of the things that they did at PrimX was they invented a scale. They could weigh... Uh, dozens of baby chickens at one time, so they could weigh the chickens faster that's really neat hmm. uh and so so imagine that that could connect to the uh, accounting financial system or e r p data in a perfectly secure and safe way uh, and then you could layer on top of that some sort of a computational environment that has access not just to programmers but also to business analysts data scientists data um, analysts operators, and even the you know the business itself through analytics tools and dashboards, well, now you've just changed the whole equation, and you begin to be able to go through this kind of data activation lifecycle really, really fast, and that generates innovation, that generates new ideas and products, and so that's one of the – it's essentially data – it's essentially innovation through access to data through integration but not centralization. It's an embracing of the decentralized nature of data, I suppose.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, where do you think are going to be the big leverage points in the data that's being collected? You know, are there any any particulars you can give? Any types of data that you think will be more useful? Maybe to encourage companies that aren't collecting it to collect it. Um, you know, where where do you want to steer uh, the industry of data collections so that you can you know help companies activate it and use it for better better purposes?
1: Yeah, you know, the thing that I see again and again is even now, this is 2017, and even now I go and I look at companies and they're they're taking the data in on a sheet of paper uh or, you know, if if with software at all in a way that and then they take that data through and they store it for single use long-term storage and it gets old and dusty so the thing that i think we're going to see and, and we have to see we have to see this happen uh is that we're going to see a much more attention paid at the edge of the network where the data is are, data is collected and this requires innovation not in technology frankly unless you consider user experience and design technology uh, it requires you to pay attention to how the data gets created collected and, you know, inserted somewhere that it can be made accessible through an API or some sort of database connection with some sort of tools. So, you know, what I see again and again is companies not paying any attention at all uh, to these first phases of sort of acquisition and preparation. Uh, they want to jump right to the later stages, which is analysis, data scientists, produce a model, and then run on to the next thing. And that's just a bad idea because it's it's too short-sighted. Um, and, you know, it, it, I just – I see it every day.
0: Hmm. Um, <clears throat> through your activities, do you think that you'd be able to get access to a um, a database that includes, you know, everyone on Earth or a massive one that uh, – you know, would there be any use for such a thing? You know, what are some of the biggest databases that are out there and have you thought about how you could use that information um, for good purposes?
1: Well, I, I think some of the biggest databases that exist on the planet today exist inside companies that have gotten very, very good at creating platform-style business models early on, 10, 15 years ago. So that's Amazon, Google, Facebook, those types of companies, Right that have and and look at the technology that they had to develop just to be able to house all that data and make it accessible over time. Uh you know mm. it's incredible. When I go to Amazon today, if you go into your order history on amazon.com. This is kind of fun to do. Go into your order history and go all the way back. They literally will have your first order. Uh, yeah, they do. Very few companies ever have been able to do that. Think of all the change that they've gone through over decades now, uh, but yet I can in moments I can go look up my first order uh, on Amazon.com. I think that's amazing, and I think there's a lot to learn there about the way they've handled their data uh, over time and considered its value. They think that's valuable, or else it wouldn't be there, would it? So, uh, really, really fascinating. And so th- that's where your biggest databases are, no question. And they're also out in the in the in the world of social media, uh, because the amount of interaction that about what two and a half billion people that are actively using social media on a day-to-day basis are out there doing right now. I mean, mm-hmm. two and a half billion uh, people <laughs> are doing something every day. They're tweeting. They're emailing. They're uh, you know they're using yeah. Facebook uh, or or Instagram or Pinterest or y- you name it. I mean, that's insane. I mean, the amount of information in the world today uh, is is passing, I believe, uh, as of 2012, it was predicted or something that the amount of data uh, would fit in around four exabytes uh, of storage. But that's doubling, uh, I, I think, probably faster than this. But I've recently been doing some research about that. And they say that's doubling about every three years. So and that was two thousand twelve. So if you do the math on that, it's it's insane. Uh, you know, and that's the ultimate. Could database, be assumed the
0: point where it,
1: it doubles every day. <laughs> For sure. Uh it will because you've got you're gonna have trillions of sensors online, just alone, right? Um and by the way, I think people are the best sensor we still have at the moment anyway. <laughs> the uh, problem is we're not very good at recording what we observe.
0: <laughs> what do you do you have a wish list? of uh databases that you you'd like to work in you know are you are you reaching out to governments or these big companies like facebook and amazon and all that to ask them for a part of their data you know like again what's on your wish list what do you if you had any data you wanted what would it be and what would you do with it right now
1: okay so I'm going to answer this a little different, and if you want to ask me again, then that's fine, um, but okay. uh, I actually am not wishing to go and get access. Let's just use Uber as an example because I did some work on mobility in South America. So let's use Uber as an example. I don't really want Uber's database, right, or let's use Tesla example, right? They have, this, they have the largest uh, road miles uh, traveled by electric vehicle database on the planet. I think they should open source that. They should de-identify and open source that. Personally, I think that would be amazing. So I'll add that one to the list. I'd like to see that. That's one for sure. Um, But what I actually am more interested in doing is taking sort of this ever-decreasing cost of technology per power unit uh, and applying that to almost create new but open from the start data sources uh, that can be leveraged in similar ways but more broadly. So imagine. Uh, that we are able to uh, do what Tesla has done and getting road miles by partnering with insurance companies who have fobs and steering columns that produce that data, right? Again, de-identified. We need to pay lots of attention to security and personal data ownership and things like that. But if we can do something like that and then we wrap that data in APIs and just as an open data, open access type situation, just imagine the value that can be created on top of that if you consider data the platform. Uh, And then if you also consider, and this is a big wish list item of mine, something I've been trying to to figure out for a while. Um, Imagine now that personal data ownership was a thing. Meaning, you know, you could offer fractional shares (laughs) in the data stream that you generate over the course of your life. Um, Mm. And and then companies would come to you right for that data instead of the other way around right now they basically take it we don't even have to get into the politics of what just happened in the u.s but the reality is that um you know i'm imagining uh, that people own their data they're creating a lot of the same data they are today but then it's available using maybe blockchain style smart contracts to broker for you uh right uh, this would be a micro then you could build data yeah yeah exactly exactly and there are companies that are trying to crack this code and they're doing lots of neat experiments but the nobody's really, really cracked that code on how e- you could afford to manage uh, all of the data you generate over the course of your life. You know, think of it, medical, emails, bills, name it. I mean, you know, just imagine how much data you generate, just, you know, and you're unusual because you do a podcast. <laughs> so just, you yeah, know, oh, yeah, I, that's true. I, you know, so... So, um, and I just, I, I sort of dream about that data being more owned by an individual with, you know, reasonable rules of access, possibly brokered by smart contracts and AI governing those smart contracts. That's a, you said wish list, so I'm going all the way there. Um, yeah, you know, no, that's, that, that's a, you know, that's a future that uh, you'd actually be able to make money <laughs> as an individual human uh, by just making the data you make, living your life. Uh, and it would be fair and balanced, whereas today uh, that equation is a little unfairly balanced toward the people who got the lead on the creation of the technology to even be able to manage the data. So I get technology, this is a technology podcast too. Think about technologies right. like IPFS, right? the Interplanetary File System, funnily named, actually very, very cool peer-to-peer storage tech, uh, growing up a lot from what happened with BitTorrent back in the day. Uh, and then blending that with brilliant, brilliant work uh, on how to do content addressable storage as opposed to um, name-based, uh, database-translated addressable storage like DNS uh, versus an IPFS hash, right? So those are the technologies, though, and what I'm telling you is those are the technologies that are going to push the cost down to near zero marginal cost and allow individuals okay. to have the, the power they need uh, to make what that wish listy future I was talking about possible.
0: How about, um, as a last item, is the thought process. So it sounds like you were challenged by Salim to come up with these amazing solutions. Um, I don't know if you would have done it on your own. I mean, maybe you've just always been like this, but it seems like a big part of Singularity University is pushing people to think in these, you know, I don't want to say grandiose, but these uh, these huge ways, you know, how can I affect a billion yeah. people? And it it seems like it's very useful no matter if you want to do that or if you just want to uh, improve your business, you know. So any recommendations on how people can cultivate the right thought process so they can innovate faster or better or, you
1: know, just overcome obstacles in what they do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I've already given hints to the two of the key ones, and you just brought one of the key ones, and you just brought up a second key one. You know, at Singularity University, When you walk in the door somewhere, you're going to see a banner that says 10 to the ninth. That's 10 to the ninth. That's a billion. Um, And somebody's going to tell you, you know, it's going to be your job (laughs) to think about how to create a positive impact in the lives of a billion people in 10 years or less. Okay, start there. Now, if you accidentally only positively affect the lives of 10 million or 100 million people, oh, darn. Right. I mean, that's not so bad. You know, it's like, oops, I only helped 100 million people. I feel terrible. Um, that's not going to happen. Right. No one's ever going to say that. Uh, uh, and then the second, though, is starting with something that's massive and transformative. Right. And that's what that's where the idea of the MTP came from, which I'm not taking credit from. Give that to Salim and Yuri and the amazing work that they did on that book. But uh, once I figured out what my MTP was, lots of other things started falling into place because now i could see whether something was right for me or not and i could see whether it was going to have impact or not it was just clear and 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 i think that those are two wonderful ways to start uh and then third is just realizing and you'll hear this all the time don't be afraid to fail don't be afraid to fail well that's fine but what they mean when they say that is in small increments <laughs> because you know you don't want to blow it all on a giant big failure uh, i've actually done that it's not fun i don't recommend it <laughs> and um, okay. uh, you have to you have to you know you have to use things like the lean methodology right uh, customer development from steve blank uh, to 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 drive those experiments in small measurable pieces wrapped in things like OKRs, objective and key results, frameworks and building your KPIs up. If you do all that, uh then you're it's fine if you fail so a little bit here, a little bit there, until you nail it. And then when you nail it, then you gotta be unafraid <laughs> to scale it. Okay. Uh because it's uh that's just as hard. <laughs> you know, maybe harder. Um and, and when you when you involve yourself with an organization like SU or the EXL Works Network uh, then what's going to happen, uh, or our Fast Track Institute, or the Works, what's going to happen is you're just going to have people around you that all think this way, mm-hmm. and then you get a bit of, uh, use a really nice old word, we get a little synergy, right? And then we have a better chance, because people will help you and support you uh, uh, to a degree. So, Makes sense. It, yeah, it's not the lonely entrepreneur syndrome so much, uh, if, you, if you set yourself up right.
0: Gotcha, okay. Yeah, so I guess last last item, you've kind of covered it already, but I was going to ask you, what resources um, can you point out for listeners that want to get into this way of thinking, that want to find out more about your data activation and what you're working on, you know, what are a few of them okay. that they can look at? Okay, well, just
1: a couple. Um, if you want to know what I'm talking about with data activation, just go to my website, dot productionscale.com slash data activation, I think. Uh, either way, productionscale.com, there's a link. Uh, and there's a brief description there. And if you want to know more, let me know. That's fine. I've been doing it for, for a while now. The One of the coolest places, I think, to really start to get a handle on um, these exponential technologies that are driving a lot of the solutions that I was telling you about uh, is mm-hmm. um, it's called uh, Singularity Hub. Uh, it's a really nice uh, publication that's online, singularityhub.com. I would absolutely go there and just subscribe to their email list so that you get the the things in your inbox. Uh, there is um, the a- I don't know this has been around forever, but it's the Association of Computing Machinery, the ACM. Uh, ACMQ is a magazine that you get uh, you get for free uh, if you're a member of the ACM, and then the uh, it's called the uh, uh, Communications of the ACM is another magazine uh, that you get. And then you get an email, newsletter. Um, it's science. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's this the world of computer science. And uh you know, read those. I mean, because there's just so much forward-looking information in there that's presented in a way that is technical to a degree, but amazing. Um the uh, you can get involved uh with projects like the Fast Track Institute on a on a volunteer basis or uh on a more um a more involved basis if you like uh, in a variety of ways depending on what your current exposure is to uh, to exponential technologies and there are paths there that I'm happy to point people to uh, go go to singularity University uh, go do an EP if you can go to an executive program uh, the applications for this summer's global impact are the applications for this summer's grad global solutions program have closed uh, but look at that look at the singularity university gsp it's truly incredible and transformational for the people who go through it only 80 people per year thousands apply don't be discouraged there's two different ways to get in and persistence does matter um okay. gosh what else uh i mean i think i can keep going uh but that's just um i mean really uh, you know you just i i consume a lot of information uh and i think that that would be the last thing i'll say is it's just start read, you know, reading and listening podcasts are incredible i have a whole list of podcasts yours is on my list now obviously and um uh, i can i can add let me see if i can just add one other podcast oh uh, one i actually am sure. really enjoying uh, it's called the ai podcast it's um nvidia produces this podcast and they've been covering um ai and medtech a lot lately but really a great podcast I think you can grab that off any any anything you any podcast platform that you care to use, uh, but I'll, I'll video, stop okay. there. That's, yeah, that's just a that's a good uh, a good teaser. Oh, and if you're interested yeah, no, in data science specifically, data science dot production dot com is a proto book. I don't think it'll ever really be a book, but all I do is about every month or two, I go in there and I drop all the links and learning resources and things that I can find uh, into that uh, little ebook. Uh, it's free. Uh, I don't, you know, I just people go there and read it. I hope it helps somebody. Uh, but yeah, that's can data you give science. That, uh, uh, production. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, it's nice if we can give the URL a little bit more slowly. but
1: Sure. Data science, uh, all one word, dot productionscale.com. Okay, got it. I, yeah, so well, great Well, Ken, there.
0: Too. I mean, <laughs> Ken, this has been great, wide ranging. Like I said, you, you singularity guys and gals, it's just you know too much, so it's impossible to get it all <laughs> in, uh, in one podcast. But um,
1: you know, thanks so much, and uh,
0: and I appreciate you coming.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, and please keep up the good work. And I'll be sharing your podcast with lots of people too, not just because I'm on it, but because you're covering awesome stuff. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you. You have been
0: listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review.